be with you here again and uh, to share God's word with you. And um, it's not the first Sunday of the year, which I've actually had the privilege of teaching to you on the last two years, but we're on the third Sunday, so it's still within the new year, even though Charles tried to remind me we're almost in February, but... Uh, <laughs> But I still, you know, we're still enough in January to bring you a sort of New Yearish message to, you know, hopefully that will encourage you throughout the year. And um, I pray that this message I'm going to give you today, in line with Kevin's message two weeks ago, which was the beginning of the year, will just uh, help you to focus and plan for the coming year for you. So, on, on my last teaching that I shared with you in October, I spoke to you on Jesus's message about being anxious for nothing. Anybody remember that? Good, good. And how we're not to worry about any of our physical needs in this life. But as Matthew 6, 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things will be added to you. Now, I truly believe that God doesn't want us to worry about any physical needs in this life so that we can concentrate more on our spiritual needs in our life, such as our growth and our sanctification. And... Today, I want to take you to a passage from a man who has spent many years being sanctified, and he comes almost to this point of despair in his battle with sin. So let's turn together to Romans 7 and see what Paul says about this. And I'm going to be reading from verse 14 to 25. And it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will it's present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now I, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word you have given us today. I pray, Heavenly Father, that there are some difficult passages in here, but I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the one who gives us all understanding, that you reveal your truth to us. And I pray, Father God, that as I speak through this word, that you will just guide me to speak the truth. And it will be edifying, uplifting, convicting, whatever you need it to be, Father, for every person in this room. I thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. 
Okay, so now before we start to go through these verses, um, I just want to look at the context of the verses here a bit. And many people across the years, some have looked at these verses and said, well, these verses here are talking about an unbeliever. This is an unbeliever talking here. And it can't surely be the Apostle Paul. Or if it is Paul, then it must have been just before he was saved or just after he got saved. And he's, you know, he's, he's having these difficulties. He's, he's carnal and all these things that he's saying. But I, I just want to make sort of st- where I stand with this and where I see where these scriptures stand with you. So first of all, I think the author is definitely talking about himself in these verses. And the reason I say this, if you look at the verses we've just read, I counted and Paul actually uses the singular I, I, me, 26 times referring to himself. So it has to be about him. Now, let's just say, for for argument's sake, you agree with me that it's Paul, okay? So don't disagree with me. (laughs) Is this Paul as someone who's been saved for a while? Or is this Paul as a new believer? Well, first of all, I do believe that these verses are talking about a believer, someone who is saved. Now, some might argue about this because when you look at verse 14 and you you look at verse 14 where Paul has said, but I'm carnal, I'm sold under sin. But then you go back one chapter in Romans 6 and Romans 6 um, verse 11 says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 14 of chapter 6 says, For sin shall no longer have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. So you read those verses, and you read then what Paul is saying here in chapter 7 and verse 14 How can he be carnal? How can he be sold unto sin? Or what about when Paul further on says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, we will go through these verses together in chapter 7. But the overall emphasis in chapter 6 is about this new creation of the believer. It's about the new identity of the redeemed believer in Christ. That is about our eternal standing with God. Where do we eternally stand with God? As Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, And he, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. I do not believe this to be... Sorry, lost my place there. Sorry. However... I believe the emphasis that Paul is trying to make here in chapter 7 is that he has this battle within him, you know. And these are the words of a believer who is in conflict. And even though the believer stands redeemed and holy before God, there still exists a conflict with sin within us. Another thing to look at in these verses is where does Paul stand in his walk with God? Is this him as a new believer who is trying in his own strength to be righteous but is failing in his flesh? Or is it someone who is legalistic and self-righteous maybe? I don't believe this to be the case. Someone who is legalistic or is carnal in their thinking, they usually tend to think that what they're doing is quite spiritual. 
And this is why Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians. Because many of the believers in the Corinthians church, they were babes in the faith or they were carnal in their ways. And they thought they were, everything was good. And so Paul wrote these two letters to teach them and correct them in their ways. Kevin went through the, you know, 1 Corinthians, and we remember going through that book, it was just constant teaching. You know, you are babes. This is, you've got to look at, you are carnal in your ways. But here, I believe these verses are referring to Paul as a mature believer. Someone who delights in the law of God. He who desires to do what is right. And he hates the things that are wrong and against God's righteous law. Someone who clearly knows the difference between good and evil. And as we have already read in Hebrews 5 verse 14, it says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You see, that is a sign of maturity. That is a mature believer, someone who has practiced what they have learned and has come to discern between good and evil. They know what is wrong. They know what is right. And they struggle with that sometimes within. Another thing that we look at in chapter 7 is that we see a shift in the tenses of the verbs used. In verses 7 to 13, which we haven't covered, the verbs are generally mostly in the past tense, talking about Paul before his conversion, before he got saved. Yet when you get to verse 14, where we started, we see a change to the present tense in all the verbs, all the way through verse to the end of 25. Kevin shared a verse from Paul, um, which he wrote to Timothy two weeks ago when, he, when, when Kevin was up here. And I want us to look at this verse. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15 says the following. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Yeah? Do you see the emphasis here from Paul? He's not saying that he was the chief of sinners. Yeah? But he's recognizing even here at this point that he is ongoing battle with the sin inside of him. J.I. Packer, for those of you who know him, he says the following about these verses. Paul is not telling us that the life of the wretched man is as bad as it could be, only that it is not as, it, it is not as good as it should be. And that's because the man delights in the law and longs to keep it perfectly. His continued ability to do so troubles him acutely. The wretched man is Paul himself, spontaneously voicing his distress at not being a better Christian than he is. And all we know of Paul personally fits in with this supposition. Now, many preachers and people have written whole sermons on this section about the background of Paul. Of, is it Paul? Is it believer and unbeliever? Some have written books on it. And I haven't got the time to spend, you know, I could just spend the whole hour with you just talking about who this is. But I really just wanted to give you a brief, brief background about where I stand and who I believe these verses are about. Now, let's go look at the verses then. So, Paul repeats himself a few times throughout this verses, throughout this passage. And basically, they, they are, there's a series of laments or cries of sorrow that Paul gives. 
I think they're broken down into three cries of sorrows or lament. So that's the way I want to look at this. Verses 14 to 17, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin for what I am doing. I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So as Paul starts here in verse 14, he uses the word for. He says, for we know. And that is basically showing that he's continuing to speak about what he was previously speaking about within chapter 7, which is about the law. And he's saying here that the law is spiritual and that it is good. But the problem is what? Not the law, but sin. That's the problem. And when you read through the previous chapters, and you see how Paul has explained how the law is good and holy, and it convicts us of our sin. The one thing, though, that he says the law cannot do, and that is to save us. That is only coming through grace and faith in Jesus. But what is he saying then when he says that he is carnal? sold under sin it's not that he's saying he's a slave to sin but that while he lives in this human body which is the flesh that he has been redeemed from the punishment of sin but he is still fleshly he still has this inner battle going on inside him and then he goes on to say that because of this battle he does the things that he hates and what he wills not to do so we can clearly see that, again, this is talking about a believer. For would an unbeliever say that the law is good or spiritual? I think not. Matthew Henry says this in his commentary, a real Christian unwillingly serves this hated master, yet cannot shake off the gall in chain till his powerful and gracious friend above rescues him. He goes on a bit further to say, sin dwelling in a man does not prove its ruling or having dominion over him. If a man dwells in a city or in a country, still he might not rule there. Okay, so you can see as believers, we no longer live in the flesh, but this flesh remains in us. That is our immortal human bodies. The flesh is still there. I think David confirms this in psalm 51 verse 5 he says behold i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me you see this is to say that we in our humanness were born into sin but as believers we don't freely sell ourselves to sin but it remains part of us until the day that we are joined with christ Verses 18 and 19, this is the second lament or cry of sorrow from Paul. And he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. So here again, we see Paul crying out, making a statement that in him, the flesh, nothing good dwells. 
Here he is talking about himself as a believer, a new creation in Christ. But yet this flesh, this mortal humanness still is in him. Again, this is not to say that he walks in the flesh, but he is saying, following on from verse 17, that the sin that dwells in him, this is of his flesh and not of his new born again nature. This is what Paul is trying to get across. Now, Rob has been teaching us from Psalm 119 a few times. And it's such a great psalm on the law of God and its goodness. And in the psalm, we see many correlations between what Paul is saying here in these verses. So Rob's not here, so I'm going to show you the difference. So he can't have a go at me because I'm going to take over Psalm 119. No, I'm, I, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Now, I'm just going to share a few verses with you from the psalm because I think it, but there is an amazing correlation between what Paul is saying here and what Psalm 119 says. First of all, the psalmist says in 119 verse 104, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Can you see how similar to Paul that the psalmist recognizes that as he gets understanding of God's word, as he desires God's truth, that he hates every false way. But this also shows that there's a battle happening within. Now, a few other verses in this amazing psalm. Like I said, I'm sure Rob's going to teach us again from the psalm, and maybe you'll get to some of these, but I just want to share a few with you. And But I just want you can see the inner battle that is happening here. Verse 81, my soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. Let's look at verse 92. Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. In my affliction. Affliction, sorry. Also, verse 113 says, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Again, you see this comparison throughout the psalm, so similar to what Paul's saying here. One more in verse 143, it says, Trouble and anguish, have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delights. So when Paul says that within him, the flesh, nothing good dwells, I want us to take a quick look at what the works of the flesh are, according to Galatians 5, verse 19 to 21. Now it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries and the like so there's more that was quite a harsh list wasn't it yeah now these works of the flesh when you read the context of galatians paul is saying that these are evident in those who are non-believers they are they're evident non-believers practice these all the time maybe not all at once but they practice these works of the flesh and Paul goes on to say that those who willingly and without repentance practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's very clear on that. 
But what Paul is saying here in, in this text is that even after becoming a new creation in Christ, that his, this flesh still remains in him. And it is still possible for believers to commit these sins that I've listed. And now you might be sitting there and thinking, well, I don't do such things. You know, that's a harsh list. And it is a horrific list when you look at it. But let's be honest with ourselves. How many times have you perhaps had an argument with your spouse or a brother or sister in the church? Or maybe you've looked at someone in the church and thought, wow, don't they have a great life? They have it all together. Not like me. I wish I had that. Or maybe you've the opposite of that. You've looked at someone and gone, well, I'm glad I'm not like them. Let's pray for them. <laughs> or perhaps you've watched an advert or a program or something that's quite provocative and thought, oh, I like the look of that. Did Jesus not say in Matthew 5 that if you look at a woman with lust towards her, you've already committed adultery in your heart? Or what about what John says in 1 John 3 verse 15? Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, please, I'm not trying to stand here today and to start off the new year by accusing you of things and hope making you feel down. But I just want us to recognize how easy it is for the flesh to take control of us. I mean, let's be honest. It is so much easier for us to go and stay awake and watch the latest blockbuster movie for three hours than it is to go and pray and plead before God for 20 minutes in our closet. That's the flesh. <laughs> I was listening to Chuck Smith talking about this, and he said that when he thought that he was strong against the flesh and he had it all under control, God would show him the error of his ways. And when he thought of himself as Chuck the Rock, God would crush him to the point so that he would recognize that he was Chuck the Sand. <laughs> I thought that, you know, so honest from Chuck. And this was, you know, Chuck towards the end of his ministry when he spoke this. And yeah, just so honest from him in there. <laughs> and even myself, as I've I got to be honest with you, as I've been preparing the teaching over the last week, the Lord's really just spoke to my heart in regards to the battle with the flesh. And it has brought me to a place of tears and sorrow this week. You know, just before God, because I understand what Paul is experiencing here. Now, Paul has given us two occasions where he laments of this battle within. But this is not really enough for Paul, because Paul really likes to get his point across, and he likes to emphasize things. So he laments for a third time here in verses 20 to 24. Now, in verse 20, he reiterates that point again. That when he does the things that he does not desire to do, it's not him as a redeemed child of God that does these things. But it is the sin, the, the flesh that dwells within him that does it. In verse 21, he says he finds a law that evil is present in him. Now, interestingly, when we look at the law that Paul refers to, I looked up in the Greek. And it is exactly the same word law that is used throughout the Bible. And we can see, though, that he says that this is a law that makes him do evil. Yet the law of God is holy and pure and good. You know, I mean, how do you contrast those things? And I think Paul does this with a sense of irony. 
to, to, to get his point across because I read in the book The Enemy Within by Chris Lungard that he states the following. He, being Paul, has been writing earlier in the chapter of God's law, which is supposed to rule our lives. Yet the law of sin seems to win a lot of head-to-head battles. Could he have chosen a more stunning contrast to unmask sin's deadly force? Another interesting point that Chris uses in the book in regard to this law of sin, he says this. He says, believers are the only people who ever find the law of sin at work in them. Unbelievers can't feel it. The law of sin is a raging river carrying them along. They cannot measure the force of the current because they have surrendered themselves to it and are borne along by it. But a believer, on the other hand, swims upstream. He meets sin head on and strains under its strength. I thought that was so so good what he said there. So again, though, we can see that this is Paul as a believer. He is the one who has the battle within. And so do we. We who believe upon Jesus have this same battle within us. Now, a small side note here. I have listened to John MacArthur teaching on these verses and a few others. I, you know, I, I just love listening to teachers. And to me, listening to teachers preach on this is the same as reading commentaries in a way. You know, it's, they're commentating on the Bible and, and just to hear what they say. And, and John MacArthur, he's an amazing teacher when it comes to this subject. He's so much better than me them teaching these things probably for his years of faithful service to God and his word and his maturity in Christ and now please don't get me wrong I'm not boasting in John MacArthur I follow Jesus I love listening to John MacArthur I love listening to men of God I love listening to Paul you know I don't follow these men but I love listening I love listening to my pastor Kevin who over the years has spoken the truth and through his maturity has given us that truth it is a great thing to do I'm not boasting or trying to lift them up on pedestals but I just want to say that you know I, I listen to these people and I love some of the stuff they say and I share that with you one thing though that really stood out to me about what John MacArthur said how this chapter relates to the results of justification And he says, the first result we saw in chapter 5 was security. The second we see in chapter 6 was holiness. And then in chapter 7, we see freedom, fruitfulness, and service. And a fourth one here in this chapter, we see, as a result of justification, the sensitivity to sin. This is a result of justification. Paul still talking about the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. And one of its results is a heightened sensitivity to sin. I think that's amazing that as we grow and mature in Christ, we understand that through our justification, we have this heightened sensitivity to sin. Now, in verse 22, we see that Paul delights in the law of God according to the inward man. That is his regenerated spiritual being. But again, in verse 23, he talks about this law in his members, that in his humanness, his flesh are warring against his mind. Now, his mind is the same as the new inner man that has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. The mind that meditates on the word day and night, Psalm 1. The mind that desires to do what is right, 
the mind that desires to be holy before his God. Thomas Watson, a man of God from the Puritan era, he writes this from his book called The Body of Divinity. A sign of sanctification is an antipathy against sin. A hypocrite may leave sin, yet love it as a serpent sheds his coat but keeps its sting. But a sanctified person can say he not only leaves sin, he loathes it. God has changed thy nature and made thee as a king's daughter, all glorious within. He has put on thee the breastplate of holiness, which though it may be shot at, can never be shot through. I thought that was just an amazing description there. But again, we see this struggle of the battle within. Now, finally, in verse 24, Paul ends this final lament with a statement and a question. First, he proclaims, O wretched man that I am. The phrase, O wretched, in the Greek is talai poros. And it means to endure toils and troubles, to be afflicted, wretched, miserable. So Paul is proclaiming that he is miserable, troubled, and afflicted. Why? Because of his inner battle with the flesh, the sin. Now, interestingly enough, the only other time this word is used in the Bible, wretched, is in Revelation 3, verse 17, where Jesus is addressing the lukewarm church in Laodicea. It says, because you say I am rich, you have become, sorry, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need for nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. Now, is Paul saying that he is a lukewarm believer who does not need anything? No, to the contrary, Paul is recognizing that he is not rich and content and in need of nothing, but because of his maturity and walk with the Lord, as we've mentioned already before, Paul knows that the sanctification that he is going through leads him to this heightened sensitivity to his sin. And that is the realization of the battle within when he cries, O wretched man that I am. He recognizes where he is. And in his despair, he finally asks the question, who will deliver me from this body of death? So after these solemn words from Paul and his laments, these cries of sorrow, it, makes, it might make you think, well, what hope is there then for us as believers? But he gives us the answer here in verse 25, the first part of it. And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here is the answer how to deal with this battle within. Now, I just want to say at this point, he is not saying that Jesus is the answer right now to end the battle within our mortal bodies. He's going to reveal more of that in the next chapter. He says in verse 18 of chapter 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You see, he, he's saying that through Jesus Christ, I will be redeemed from this mortal body. I will overcome this, right? I will, this will end. I will be with my Savior, and, and then I will no longer have this battle. 
But what about now? What about now on this earth while we're walking along and, you know, we have, he's having this battle. What do we do? But he, he ends this chapter, first of all, by recognizing that the battle is ongoing while we're here. That's why he says, so then with the mind, I myself serve the Lord of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin, the battle continues. Now, if I had to end right here and say, well, let's pray now. I've come to the end of the chapter. You might think, well, that's not great. What do I do? <laughs> what chance do I have? But, but God. <laughs> you might even be thinking to yourself, please, can I go home now and be with my Savior? I just want this battle to end. <laughs> but Paul leads us into the glorious eighth chapter of Romans. And it is a glorious eighth chapter. And I never planned it this way. And I know before when I stood up here and taught, I actually started at the end of Romans 8, then did the middle now I've gone to Rome. I, I didn't plan to go backwards through Romans, just the way it's happened. But uh, <laughs> I, I think now we're going back into Romans 8 just a bit. I'm not going to go through it all because there's no time for that. And he says, though, in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. When you look at this whole Bible here, from Genesis to Revelation, this is a book of condemnation. It is a, a book of condemnation from a righteous, holy God to a sinful, evil, unrepentant people for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We read in John 3 verse 19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. But praise God, just a few verses back, I love going backwards, it seems to work, see? If you read in verse 16 to 18, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. So we can see that this book from Genesis to Revelation is a book of love. To those who believe upon the name of Jesus that have come to repentance and are new creations through the Holy Spirit who now dwells in us. For such... There is now and there will never be any condemnation from God. Look at what the second part of verse 1 says. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So again, Paul is continuing to teach about the difference of this flesh. This rotten humanness that still remains in this mortal body. Versus the spirit. The new creation in Christ Jesus, the mind of the believer who wants to do good and keep the commandments of God. And if we go to Galatians 5 verse 17, we again see this battle within. It says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Here again, similar to what Paul has been saying here in Romans 7. But thanks be to God who gives us an answer to all this. Yes, we will one day be forever in his presence, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 40, 54, 
So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immorality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. But while we're here on this earth, awaiting for our Lord to return or for us to join him in paradise through his love for us, he gives us a solution to our battle with him. Now, some of you know where I'm going. Galatians, I'm going backwards again. Galatians 5 verse 16 says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walking in the spirit is our answer to battling the flesh within. And that doesn't mean we will be perfect at it. Kevin mentioned two weeks ago, he talked about how it is a race that we run, a race that leads to that perfection. It's continuing. Now, I want to leave you with my three-point plan that I've devised to walk in the Spirit. No, seriously, if anyone says they have a plan or a program to destroy the flesh, please ignore them. They probably came from the flesh and it will fail. Okay. What I want to give you is three points that I hopefully will help you lead you to God's truth and enable you to walk in the spirit. Number one, seek. When I started today, I started off with the scripture from Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. So we know that if we seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, that everything else that we need, spiritually and physically, will be given to us. How do we seek this kingdom? Ultimately, though, I would say it is through the word of God. Romans 12 verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We renew our mind through the word of God. Other voices that point to seeking God are many throughout the word. They were, they were, I looked up and there are hundreds of different verses, but I want to point out a few to you. A popular one, many of you might know, is 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. And it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn away from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, Although the verse in this context was directly given for Israel, there is still so much truth in it that if we seek God's face, we will be forgiven. Now, the Psalms, aren't they full of great verses of seeking God and just some great promises? Look at Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Look at Psalm 14, verse 2, where God desires us to seek him. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Now, the beautiful verse Kevin shared with us two weeks ago about the one main thing that we should seek, Psalm 27, verse 4, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That is what we are to seek. Another one from Kevin, and I'm not plagiarizing. It just happened that the Lord led me to these verses. And hopefully these will reinforce what Kevin has taught you over the last few weeks. Okay, so I'm not copying him. (laughs) 
Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of those who diligently seek him. And one more verse on seeking the Lord from Isaiah 55 verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And I think this last verse is so important because there is ultimately going to come a time when we can no longer seek the Lord because he's going to return for his bride to be joined together forever in, in eternity. The second point I want to give you is submit. Now we know that apart from the flesh, we also have other enemies that we battle with, such as the world and Satan. And these two enemies will always try to tempt us to sin in our flesh. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Another important verse in our battle with the enemy is James 4, verse 7 and 8, which says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You see, we cannot defeat the enemies of we face in our own strength. But as we submit to God, then he gives us the strength to overcome, to resist the devil, and he gives us authority to do this. And he allows us to walk in the spirit. The spirit in us gives us that strength. Now, just a few other verses on submission to God. In 1 John 5, verse 2 to 3, he says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. That's the same as submitting, keeping his commandments. Because God knows what's best for us as our heavenly loving Father. That's why he gives us the commandments. And that's why he asks us to trust and obey in them. Another great verse is 1 Peter 5, verse 6 to 7. It says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And one final verse to really encourage you to submit to God is in Isaiah 66, verse 2, which says, For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, say the Lord. This, this was talking about the temple. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. That's what God's interested in, those who come before him, who submit before him, who have a contrite heart, a repentant heart. The final point I'd like to give you is to serve. So we have, we have, um, sorry, we have seek, submitting, and serve. And I mean this in the sense of serving God by seeking him in his word, by submitting to him, and obeying his commandments. And many of us here will agree with Joshua when he said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But I think there's a really another important part here for us in serving the Lord. And Jesus himself showed us this when he came to earth and he served us. 
So we too are to serve others as unto the Lord, especially those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Just a few verses here to encourage you as you seek to serve the Lord and to serve others. Paul says in Acts 20 verse 35, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Or in Galatians 5 verse 13 where Paul says, For you, brethren, have not been called to liberty. Sorry, I got that wrong. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Forgive me. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. And one final scripture, for, and I think this is important for us to close on, as we've read through the word today and discovered that we, as redeemed children of God, have this battle within us against the flesh, against our human mortality. But we have been given the power to walk in the spirit and not the flesh. But we will seek God and his righteousness, and we will submit to our Heavenly Father and serve him by serving others. So I want us to turn, please, to 1 Peter 4. So it's just a bit further on from Romans. And I want to read from verse 7, 1 Peter 4, verse 7, and I'm reading down to verse 11. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I think those verses are so important for us to end on here because we can see, we know we are in the last days. We know we're in the last hours. It is telling us to be watchful, to pray, to forgive others because through our love for others, that covers a multitude of our sins. Yeah, the sins that's still there. Yes, we have this battle, but we have the eternal victory. We've been given that eternal victory. And we thank God for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word. And I thank you, Father God, that we know that we stand before you today as saints, yet we are still having this battle with the flesh within us. And like Paul, as we grow closer to you, we learn more of this battle. We have a sensitivity to the sin in us, and we loathe it. We desire not to do it, Father. But we thank you, Father God, that you have given us your Holy Spirit to live within us, to guide us, to give us the power as we walk in the Spirit to overcome the flesh. I thank you for your grace. And I pray, Father, these words will just be encouraging to everybody here today. And for those, Father, who may not know you, I pray, Lord, that they would just want to know you so they can just be rid of that sinful nature that just guides them along in their lives, that they can come into eternal glory knowing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
What a glorious hope that is. And we give thanks to you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.